is our cry. That is our prayer. That is what we've been called to as the church of Jesus Christ in this generation. Amen? Amen. Hey, let's dismiss our kids to uh, elevate kids' ministry this morning. We're going to go out this way. So, uh, parents, you can dismiss your kids. Sherry's right here. Kate, I'm sorry, K through fourth grade this way, pre-K that way. Our uh, construction is continuing upstairs, and we're getting so close to finishing. I can't wait for you all to see what's been done upstairs. Such a transformation, such a, such a great spot for our children and people who have yet to come to see and experience the reality of Jesus Christ in their life. So uh, we're grateful for all of that work. So parents, when the, uh, when the service is over, uh, if you have pre-K, you'll go upstairs to pick them up. And if you have K through 4th, you'll pick them up right over here at this door. They're going to go outside to their area, and that'll be the place you'll come pick them up. So, you know, years ago, I would go with my parents, and we would visit my aunt and uncle down in the Houston area. And my aunt and uncle had some property that was kind of out kind of out in the woods almost. And they built a little place out there. The difficult thing was that to get to it, what they really had, you couldn't even really call a road. It was more like a couple of tracks. And I don't know what it was about this area, but it, was, it seemed like every time we went there, it was damp and there were pools of water and it was muddy. So I'm sure it wasn't this way every time, but it seemed like every time we went to see them, we would start off into their property, you'd get off into the, kind of off the main road, you'd get back there, and there'd be a spot where we would get stuck. I mean, the car, and it's loaded with my, you know, my mom and dad, my aunt and uncle and me, and some, I can't remember if one of my cousins or two of my cousins, it's full, and we, we're going along, and all of a sudden, junk. You know, the, you know what I'm talking about. You know, the wheels, the back wheel's spinning, but it's not going anywhere. And it's like, oh, hold on a second. We just find this back and forth thing. You know, you put it in reverse, put it in forward, put it in reverse, put it in forward. You're trying to rock it back and forth, and it's just going nowhere. And like, oh, here we go. Stuck again. All right, everybody out of the car. And like, okay, we're going to push. We're going to put some stuff under the tire. All this whole thing to try to get unstuck. It's no fun to get stuck. And we finally get out. And then, you know, some time would pass. We'd go back down again. And you'd think, of like, you know, Let's not go that same way. But we would. I don't know what it was. I was a kid, so I don't know. But we'd go that path again, and all of a sudden, same spot. And the whole thing again. Sometimes we would get so stuck, couldn't get out, they'd have to walk over to the house where it was another half mile down the road, bring another vehicle back over to get us and take us there. It's terrible being stuck. When you get stuck, you can't get to where you ought to be on time, right? When you get stuck, you can't move forward. You get stuck, you can't even go back because you're stuck. You're just stuck. Some people get stuck in life. Have you ever been at a point where you get stuck? Well, you're moving along. You think you're making the progress you need to make. You've got a destination in mind. But something happens. Something you weren't counting on. You end up in a, a mud hole. You weren't counting on this problem happening. You weren't counting on this loss happening. You weren't counting on this setback happening. But all of a sudden, you find yourself in this spot where you find it difficult to make sense of where God is in the moment and how you'll ever get out. And people get stuck. They get stuck in their emotions there. The pain that they feel the hurt that they experience, they stay in it. Now, I realize 
when there's hurt and pain that come into our life, there's a, there's a time that we are going to experience pain, maybe even grieving. It's one thing to experience it and move on. It's quite another to get stuck in it and talk to someone who is five years past the event, yet they're still dealing with the very same raw emotions. There's still a little bit of anger. There's still a little bit of sorrow, deep sorrow, and they haven't been able to move past it. It's as though they got stuck in a spot where the pain happened, where the confusion happened, and they couldn't move past it. There's really only one way out of stuck spots. It is by faith. It's when you get a bigger picture, you get a higher calling, you get a bigger vision, you get a different way, and then you can move forward out of your stuck spot. We're nearing the end of a series we've called Alive. We've been looking at stories of people in Scripture who were resurrected, who died, and they were stuck in their death, but God resurrected them. I want to make a couple of big points to start this morning, and then we're going to see how Scripture and the story confirms that. I keep hearing my voice changing. We just about there, Brad, because it makes me funny. I feel like I'm changing personalities up here while I talk. It's weird. First big point is this I want us to kind of grab a hold of today. Faith refuses to settle for what is or has been. See, that's why faith can pull you out of stuck spots. That's why faith can move you forward because faith refuses to stay where it's been. Faith refuses to accept what has been and what is and chooses instead to see what could be and what God says will be. So Abraham was in a stuck spot, no children, given a promise by God, but in faith, he chooses to not stay stuck childless. He chooses to believe what God says and move forward. It even changes the way he sees his wife. She's barren. That's how he saw her. But when God gave him a promise, he applied some faith. He saw him health differently, and he saw his wife differently. He saw his future differently. That's what happened. Faith says, look, I'm not going to keep living where I am. I'm going to live with a new hope, a new future, a new direction. Faith says, I'm not going to keep living in this fear. I'm not going to keep living in this anxiety. I'm not going to keep living in this depression. I'm not going to keep living in these same family sins that have been going on. I'm not going to keep living in these generational sins that have been happening. I'm not going to keep living in my addiction, my boredom, my temptation. I'm not going to keep living in this fighting in my marriage. I'm not going to keep living with no passion. I'm going to believe what God says. I'm not going to stay stuck in this. Here's what happens for most believers even today. They start to think, that where they are right now is the way it's always going to be. You think, well, I just don't see myself ever changing. I just don't see my spouse ever changing. I just don't see my marriage ever changing. 
I just don't see my situation changing. I just don't see my kids ever changing. The way it is is the way it's going to always be. I don't see my school situation changing, my job situation changing, my financial situation changing. And they get stuck because they settle for where they are. They think this is the way it's going to always be. And the longer they've been in it, the more easy it is to say, this is the way it's going to always be. But I'm here to tell you today, that is not the message of the new covenant life in Jesus Christ. This is not the way it's going to always be. And God is looking for a people He's looking for individuals, he's looking for churches, he's looking for families who will say, God, I am not going to keep living in this is the way it's always going to be. I will see my life by your word and will believe in faith. Amen? Amen. That's kind of first big point today. You see, when you have that when you have this as your, your guide, when you have this is what drives you, then you, then you believe a, a New Testament verse that says this in Ephesians 3.20. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and forever. Amen. You see, this is where faith comes in. And you start looking at life differently than just what you can think will be next. If it's all up to what you think will be next, you'll get stuck in this is the way it's going to always be. This truth says, no, I trust my God and he, he is able to do far beyond. Paul used two words to help us understand far beyond. Exceedingly, abundantly. That's a long way beyond. Far beyond, exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. You, you mention your wildest dreams to God and he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that what you ask or what you think. But see, it takes faith to believe this. You have to be a young man, a young woman, a seasoned man, a seasoned woman to say, God, what I see with my eyes, I will not trust. What I hear with my spiritual ears, I will trust. And I believe, I hope for, I long for. But I don't just hope and long for, I actually expect and anticipate you doing bigger, better, far beyond what I could ask or think. Always a difference. There's a big difference between hoping for and actually expecting it to happen. Amen? I hope the Rangers are going to do better this season. Yeah, see, you know. I hope the Cowboys will do better this next season. That's all hope. But exceedingly abundantly, confidently trust that God will do exceedingly abundantly, 
more, and I have confidence in it, and I expect it, and I actually anticipate it happening. I just start watching for it to happen. And whatever you watch for in your day, guess what? You'll find it. I heard a great illustration this week. A pastor was saying, you know, if you start your day saying, well, no one likes me. I don't, this day's just going to be miserable. No one ever calls me. No one ever texts me. No one ever mentions me on Facebook. No one ever sends me any Snapchat. No one ever sends me any pictures on Instagram. No one tags me. No one likes me. No one calls me. No one thinks I'm special. If you start your day with that, guess what? You're going to see it in your day. You're going to encounter people that aren't going to Snapchat you. They're not going to message you or call you. And if that's what you believe, you'll find every bit of your prophecy come true. You'll end your day seeing, say, I knew it. I knew nobody liked me. But if you begin your day and say, I believe that Jesus is for me and with me. I believe that God is working all things out for my good. I believe that God's going to show his glory. In fact, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think. When you start your day like that and you start walking in your day, stuff's going to happen. And guess what you're going to see? God. He was there before, but because of the way you looked at it, you couldn't see him. But when you approach it by faith, you'll see him all over the place. Amen? Amen. Hey, we're just getting started today. We haven't got to the real story yet. You see, faith lives in anticipation of a miracle. It, it, just, it just walks through its day that way. It's just looking all around. Okay, God, let's go. Let's do this. And you're watching for him. You're looking at him. You're having conversations with people. And you say, wow. Praise the Lord, there he is, right there. He already answered one of my prayers. I just see it already. It, you know, that, that happens when you're walking with real expectation, anticipation of God working. Here's the deal. Real faith that's been tested and matured even anticipates the miracle when the situation is absolutely hopeless. I don't mean while it's still all a possibility. I don't mean while it's still going well. I mean faith truly trusts when the situation has every indication that it's dead, that there's no more life, that there's no more continuation. Faith says, God, I believe you, I trust you, and even though what I see right now looks dead, I still believe and I still trust you. I believe you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think. Now that takes faith. And this is where the Lord is calling us this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. You with me? Ready to go on this journey together? So Acts chapter 9 is where we are today. Turn in your Bible, your app, whatever you've got. Acts chapter 9, 36 through 42. We're looking at another resurrection in the New Testament. Let me take the story a little bit at a time here. In verse 36, it says this, at Joppa. Now, I realize that here in Texas, we say Joppa. If we were Greek, or if we were in the days of the New Testament, 
we would say Eopa. I'm not going to say Eopa when I say that this morning, okay? Because I know you're not going to say that either. You're going to say Joppa, right? So it's okay if we all say Joppa this morning and move forward in the passage. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, okay? So this is a woman. She's living in Joppa. And we get a, a translation of her name, which is translated Dorcas. It's the word that means gazelle. She was, uh, as you'll see, a woman of great faith that had this beautiful name, represented who she was and what she was about. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Now, they didn't get this from her Facebook page. This was not her Instagram name. This was what she did, and this is how she was known in the community. She was known by others as a woman who did good works. And when you do good works, you don't have to go up and put a banner out that you're doing good works. It'll be known. You've tried to do it in secret. You'll try to do it so that you don't get any glory. But God will see to it that those who are serving him will become an icon and a role model for others. And she is full of good deeds. I'm sorry, full of good works and charitable deeds which she did. She loved to give to help other people. She sacrificed. She gave away. Verse 37, but it happened in those days that she became sick and died. Now, to be in the early church at this time was difficult already. It was not a favored position to call yourself a believer and a excuse me, a follower of Jesus Christ, you were asking for trouble. You were going to be ridiculed. You most likely were going to be persecuted, maybe arrested. Life in the community of believers was difficult. And here in the midst of the difficult time, one of the women who was an icon, one of the women who is known for serving becomes sick, and she dies. Now, to understand what happens from this point forward in the story, you have to understand just a little bit of Jewish history and of culture in the day. You know that when Jesus died, how quickly did they bury him? It was right away. In our world today, we, our custom is that when someone dies, their body is taken to a funeral home. The family will choose a day, maybe the next day, not often, maybe two days later, sometimes three days later, maybe even sometimes four days later is the actual funeral service. That's kind of how our culture works. In this time, however... When someone died, Jewish culture, Jewish tradition, Jewish rite said, if someone dies, you bury them that day, that day. Unless it was late in the evening, they were buried that day. If it was late in the evening, it was the next morning. It was usually within a 24-hour period. The body would be washed, prepared, and wrapped and buried taken outside of town, put in a tomb, 
And then would be the period of grieving, much like we have a funeral service. Then family would gather. Then there would be mourning. But burial happened almost instantly. They took the body and put it in a tomb, removed it from life because there were certain taboos. There were certain laws regarding touching the dead. Death, immediate burial. So knowing that about the story will help us in what happens next. The story takes a very interesting turn. If you didn't know a little bit about culture, you would miss the significance of what's happening here. The second part of verse 37 says this, when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Wait a minute. This is not the pattern. This is not what you do. This is not what everyone had done. This does not make sense. This is not what we've done before. She was dead. It was over. The pattern is death, burial. You have someone die, you bury them instantly. What are you doing, folks? These are believers. She was a known disciple. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. It wasn't a downstairs room. It was an upstairs room. It was the place where people slept. It was a place that not everyone went to. It was a special place. And they take her body and they put it there. They're not practicing what you and I practice in culture today. They're doing something radically different because what you did in the day was bury someone when they died. Something is up. Something is happening. They see death but they're making a different choice. They see death happening here, but they're applying some faith. You see, what we will find out is that Peter had been in a a nearby town. Peter has been a a vessel that God is working through. Peter has been the, the, the one that God has worked through to actually heal some people. A man had just been listed in Acts chapter 9 that had been crippled for a very long time. And God worked a miracle through Peter. And these believers get word. And when there had been death, they chose to do something different. They chose to not bury the dead. Interesting. They chose to take the one who had died and put her in a special place. Normally there was washing before burial, but this is different. This is washing and then putting in an upper room. This is washing as though we're preparing for something else. First big truth this morning. Don't bury what died when the power of God is nearby. She had died. The custom was to bury her. That was really the end. Once you buried, 
once you put in the tomb, it was done. You moved on with life. You grieved, but you realized this is death. These people, however, they think differently about this moment. The power of God is nearby. The power of God has been working through Peter. The power of God is healing people that haven't been healed, that have been long time ill. The power of God is nearby. I'm not going to call dead what has died because I'm going to trust by faith in the one who can bring resurrection. I'm going to trust in the one, in fact, who said he is the resurrection and the life. Mm. So, let me, let me give you an example here. I'm going to get Taylor and Nick to help me. So, Nick, if you'll come on up. Uh, yeah, let Taylor have those. Nick, Nick's going to be uh, our dead man. He's walking. Now he's not. That's right. So, Nick, why don't you just be dead for just a moment here. So, you're, you're not going to move. So, Taylor is going to represent people in the day who would have taken a dead person in preparing them for burial, would have wrapped them in strips of cloth. So, Taylor, you can, yeah, there's a bunch of them here. I'm not going to help you. Sorry. You can just help yourself with all of that. Here's a, well, I didn't mean to take all of it. There's, yeah, just help yourself. I'm going to talk and you let the dead bury the dead. So, uh, that's what Jesus said. Um, if you had someone who was dead, you, you wrap them up. Heather, she might need some help. It's her first time to bury someone. <laughs> the process of burial involved wrapping, covering in these cloths. Some of it was anticipation of another day, but it had a practical sense to it as well because they would uh, put in spices. And y'all go ahead and cover his face up too. It's thin enough he can breathe through it. There we go. He's dead. It doesn't matter. So, spices, covering, had a practical sense because it, for a while, could keep the aroma of death at bay. That's why the burial places are located outside of town. And when someone was dead, others had to step in to help. You see, a dead man can't even bury himself. A dead man can't do anything. It's impossible. He can't move. He can't breathe. He can't help himself. Before someone comes to Christ, the Bible says they are dead in their sins. They're, they're covered up in guilt and shame and their past. They are the ultimate stuck. They can't even comprehend the grace of God. You try to talk to them about who Jesus is, and, and it's just, it just goes right past them. They're dead. Oh, they're physically alive. They're looking at you. They're talking to you. But you can tell by the conversation, they don't get it, right? You know what I'm talking about? 
You ever talk to some people who did not know who Jesus Christ was practically in their life? I don't mean they didn't know who he was historically, but they did not know what it meant to be forgiven, loved, healed, cleansed, and one with God. They're blind to that. They're actually dead to that. Good job. Stay there for just a moment. When someone's dead, they can't do a thing for themselves. Sometimes we get into places in our life where we look at parts of our life and we think, man, my marriage, it looks absolutely dead. Oh, we're going through the motions, but there's no life in it. There's no hope in it. There's no future in it. There's no joy in it. Some people look at a friend or a family member and they, they know they are spiritually dead. There's no life within them that communicates any joy or peace. Sometimes we look at our future and we think, man, this, my future is just, it seems dead. I don't see any direction. I don't see any hope. I don't see any life in it. I could go on. It could be your finances. It could be a relationship. It could be a friend. It could be your job. It could be your career. But what's needed in a situation, whether it be a person, a marriage, and just for our discussion right here, we're just going to let this dead body represent to you what has died in your life. I don't know what it is for you, but I want you just to make that connection in your own mind and heart right now. Future, marriage, hope, your peace, relationship, a friend, a child, a parent. When God wants to bring resurrection... He does not look to the one who is dead to have faith. Stay with me. Because he cannot. He's dead. Whether it be the marriage, the future, the job, the career, the child, you name it, don't Look to the one who's dead as the place of hope. Think, well, where's my hope then? Your hope is in Christ, but watch this. Do you know that in every story we've looked at, there has been somebody else in the story who had some faith that brought about the resurrection? Guess who needs to have the faith to bring resurrection? Oh, yeah, right here. We're about to see in this story a woman who died, but a man who had faith. 
And because he believed God was able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that he could ask or think, there will be resurrection. You, it, it's easy to look at the culture today and say, well, pfft, this place has just gone to hell in a handbasket, right? You know, these people are nuts. They have lost their mind. It's not going to get any better out there. I can sure tell you that. And that's what we all start doing. We all start saying, it's not going to ever get any better. This is the way it's always going to be. As long as you are this person, you keep saying, this is the way it's always going to be. There will be no resurrection right here. Because God is looking for faith in this person to cause this one to come to life. Amen. He's looking for the church today to have faith to believe that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think in our culture for the culture to be resurrected. He's not looking to them. He's looking to us. You keep looking at your marriage thinking, when is she going to get it? When is he going to get it? He can't. She can't if she's dead. God is looking to you. Let's give them a hand. Help Nick come to life there, Taylor. Help him. John, thank you, Nick. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Taylor. Let's get on with the story. All right, very good, y'all. So the story continues in Acts 9, 38. And since, now here we go. Us Texans, we say, Lida, Lida. You see, if we, were, if we were reading it in the original language, we'd say, Luda. I'm going to say Lida. That's all right. Lida and Joppa, because we're all speaking Texan here this morning, right? It all makes sense with that. And since Lida was near Joppa, and the disciples heard had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him to not to delay in coming to them. Peter's nearby. And we've been hearing the stories of how God has been working in Peter. So to you guys, you go and go get Peter. I, I mean, both of you go. I want you to get there quickly. And I want you to tell him, don't delay. Don't stop. Don't, don't take a detour. You've got to get here, Peter. We've washed the body. We've put it in an upper room because we're believing for something more. We're not going to bury it yet because we believe the power of God has got something he wants to do. Amen? Verse 39 says, Then Peter arose and went with them. Way to go, Peter. He heard the call, sensed God leading, and he takes off and goes with them. Second part of the verse says this. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. They bring Peter straight, straight there, straight to the upper room. We don't stop downstairs for some appetizers and drinks and coffee. We go straight to the upper room. Verse 39, in the last part of it, it says, And all the widows stood by weeping. I imagine these were some of the ones that she had sacrificed for. I imagine these were some people that she had served. Remember, she was a woman of great charitable deeds. She had done a lot. 
And it appears that the group that she had really targeted were some women who had lost their husbands. They didn't have someone to provide for them. They needed someone to grieve with them. And she must have built a community of faith and trust and hope and love, and she cared for them. And they're there, and they're grieving. It says these widows are standing there. They're by him, Peter. And they're showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Mm. What a touching tribute. These are the things she made for us. You see this? You see this right here? I remember the day she gave it to me. I didn't have anything. And she sacrificed. She got this material and she made it just for me. I remember the look in her eyes when she gave it to me. And that story just kind of repeated itself around the room. These widows, and they're just grieving. They're looking back on what Dorcas had done. They're looking back on all that she had been to them. They keep looking back on all those memories. They keep looking back at those times. They keep looking back at those memories, all the times they must have spent together. They keep looking back at all of that. And you know, looking back is good, but looking back can be very, very dangerous. Hmm. You see, in your walk with Christ, he's done some great things, I know. There's been some special times some special memories, some special places. And you remember them, and boy, just the thought of them stirs so much emotion and, and spiritual memories. And looking back is great. But if you ever get to the place where most of what you do, if not all of what you do, is look back and remember when... Well, I remember when this happened. I remember when that happened. I remember when this happened. Remember what God did for me. I remember this conversation. I remember this small group we had. I remember this group and what we did. If that's all you do is look back, guess where you have stopped looking forward. And see, Peter's in this room. He's come there with purpose because some people have believed that there's something more than just the death. And Peter's come into the room, and here are all these women, and all they can do is talk about the past. Oh, it's wonderful stuff. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, it's heart-wrenching. Oh, it's moving. But it's all focused on the past. It's all about what happened back there. And when an individual believer, a group, or a church gets focused on the past then comes to pass what I'm sure you've heard, the seven dying words of a church. We have never done it that way before. I think that's eight, unless you make we have a weave. And the minute you start relying upon the past and not what's in the future, then all you'll see is death and what used to be, and you'll miss out on something glorious that God's about to do. Oh, see, God's about to do something big. 
God's about to bring about a resurrection here. I don't have to put that out there as a spoiler alert because you kind of know this is where we're headed, right? God's about to do something big, but all of these women are so focused on the past. Well, you know, you may have come here for resurrection, but I tell you what, I've never seen that done before. Well, I'm sorry, ma'am, you're going to miss it if you, if you just keep, you know, all this looking back stuff. If you're so focused on the past, you don't have faith to move forward in the future, you'll miss the, the miraculous. And God's trying to get you to that place. You know that, right? He wants you to live in expectation of, of something miraculous happening. He didn't want you to live with, well, it's just the way it's always going to be. I mean, they've always kind of been dead. I guess they'll just always be dead. I guess the culture's kind of always been like that. The culture's going to keep on being like that. I don't see it getting any better. My wife's just like that. I mean, she's just that way. I don't see any, cha- any changes coming. My husband, he's just that way. He's just, that's just the way it is. Our marriage is just that way. That's the way it's always going to be. And God says, no, stop that. Let me show you what happens next in this story. It says, but Peter put them all out. Oh, all these women talking about the past. All these women talking about what they used to do. All these women talking about how they'd sit around and do their thing. And Peter says, y'all going to have to leave. There can't be resurrection if all you keep talking about is the way things used to be. Mm. And Peter puts them out. He puts them out of the room. He puts those who are stuck in mourning about the past He puts those out who are stuck looking at the past. He puts those out who don't have faith for something bigger in the future. He puts those out that don't have a vision. He puts those out that say, we've never done it that way before. If if you want to live in anticipation of the miraculous, then here's the deal. You have to shut out the voices that have settled for death. There'll be people in your life. There'll be conversations at work. There'll be people in your family who will be wrapped up, consumed with death. They are convinced it's over. They're convinced it can't change. They're convinced this is the way it's always going to be. And if you want to see God do something miraculous, you've got to distance yourself from the people who are obsessed and have settled for death. Because remember, God's looking for the one who have faith before he'll resurrect the one who's dead. And I'm going to tell you, you, you know this. I'm going to say it just for redundancy's sake, so that we all know it. There are voices that are speaking death into all areas of life. In your marriage, there are voices that are whispering death. Sometimes they're from the TV. Sometimes they're from the movies. Sometimes they're from the people at work. Sometimes they're just from your own past thought processes where you begin to say to yourself, well, they're just not ever going to change. That's a voice of death. Well, you know, I'm not ever going to be happy, so I guess I should just find someone else on the side I can be happy with. Voice of death. Well, I guess I could just, I'm just going to demand my way. That's all they do is demand their way. Voice of death. 
I guess this is just the way it's always going to be. It's not ever going to get any better. I'm really just thinking about leaving them and divorcing them. That is the voice of death speaking into your marriage, wanting you to end it, wanting you to think it could never change, wanting you to think that God could never resurrect it. You hear me? The same thing happens when it comes to faith. Oh, the enemy is whispering himself just silly in people's ears today. Hey, you can't trust those people up there at that church. Hey, don't get too involved. Just, just keep this faith thing separate. Do what you do Monday through Saturday, but faith Sunday, fine. Don't let that spill over anywhere else. Don't tell anybody else about who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. Don't make any commitments. It would make you stand out. Those are the whispers of death. There are other whispers of death today. Whispers that tempt women with abortion that tempt people with immorality, that tempt people into perversion, that tempt people into infidelity, into fear, into bitterness and resentment, that tempt people into partying and drugs and drunkenness, that lead people into just hopelessness. Those are all whispers of death. And you won't get to places of life if you keep surrounding yourself with people of death, sometimes you got to take them and put them all out of the room. You got to separate yourself from them, especially if you want to see resurrection happen. You're going to have to leave those voices that are whispering to you about your marriage. You're going to have to leave those voices that are whispering to you about compromise. You're going to have to leave those voices. They're speaking death to you. Back to our story. Peter puts them all out. Verse 40, in the second part, it says this, and he knelt down and he prayed. Whew. It's one thing to shut the other voices out. It's another thing to turn his voice on. And that's exactly what Peter's doing here. I shut those voices out. Now, now I'm going to hear from the one who has something to say to me. Now I'm going to hear from the one who's got power to speak into my life. Now I'm going to hear from the one who has some truth. Now I'm going to hear from the only one who can bring resurrection to my friend. Amen? And he does. And he kneels down and he prays. And I don't imagine it's this real, you know... Uh, religious, you know, quiet little prayer. I imagine Peter, you got to know Peter's personality. Peter's the first guy to talk in a room. Peter's the last guy to talk in a room. Peter's the guy that's cutting off a soldier's ear to save Jesus' life. Peter's the brash guy. Here's Peter, and when he kneels down and prays, I imagine him throwing himself on the ground. He's like, oh God, our friend has died. It's impossible for them to come to life. But you... You are the one who sent your son. You are the one who took him to the cross. You were pleased to bruise him for our sins. But he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected on the third day. He came to life. He is the resurrection and the life. And God, I'm sensing you've got something great you want to do here for our friend Dorcas. Peter's just, I imagine him just wailing out, praying. And I imagine everybody else standing outside the room like, you know, they're like, shut up. And they're listening, and they're hearing Peter call out to God. They're, he they're hearing Peter do battle in prayer. 
I just imagine Peter's, you know, shutting down Satan. He's probably saying, you demons, you have no business here. All you, all you voices of death, get out of here. He's probably doing some real battle in this spot, in this moment. That's where you have to do your battle, though. You know that. If you want to see some resurrection happen, you want to see a friend set free from prison, you got to do your work. And I mean work in prayer. You gotta get down on your knees. You gotta do the work. You gotta call out to God. You gotta keep wrestling. You gotta keep working. You gotta keep believing. You gotta shut out the voices in your own head. You gotta keep praying. You keep on going until you find peace with God and power from God in the moment. And that's what I imagine Peter doing here. You see, if you wanna, if you really wanna live with anticipation, expectation of the miraculous happening in your life, then you've got to cry out to the only one who can make the dead live. You're not going to do it by your amazing words of wisdom. You're not going to do it by your own manipulating the situation. God is looking for those whose hearts are surrendered to him that he might show himself faithful on their behalf. The power of what's about to happen is not in Dorcas, it's in Peter. And the powers come from God in him. The story continues. I'm taking taking the story in epic slow-mo format here this morning, right? It just, it's good that way. He kneels and he prays, and then it says, and turning to the body. It's just a few words. It's just a piece of a sentence, but oh my goodness, there's so much power in it. Can you imagine Peter? He's laid out probably on the ground. He's praying, and he's crying out to God, and the door is here, and the body is here. Dorcas is laid out, and he finishes. I don't know how long his prayer is, but he's been going at it. He's been crying out to God. He's been calling out the demons. He's been being filled with the spirit of power, and he stands up when he's done. And he turns toward the body. Now, now he's facing what has died. But you don't face what's died until you've turned to the one who's alive. Don't dare try to talk to what's dead until you've got your power from the one who's living. Don't dare attempt to whisper a word of life until you've heard from the word of life. And when he does, he turns toward the body. You've got to have some courage to turn toward the body. I don't know how you are in a funeral home. I don't know how you are at a funeral. I've stood by a lot of caskets when I'm the minister and I'm holding my Bible and the body's here. You know, at the end when the family comes by and they, they, they proceed by, there are some people, they, they don't like to be around death. I, I get it. But they'll do this number. You know, they're trying to stay away from it completely. I get it. But Peter, he is not afraid. He turns toward what has died. I'm telling you, it takes some courage to turn toward what's died. It takes some courage to turn toward that marriage, that family member, that loved one, 
that job situation, that financial situation, that physical illness. It takes some courage to turn from God and turn to face the body. But when you get that power, when you've gotten direction, that's the only thing you can do is turn toward the one who's dead. Are you feeling the anticipation building in this story? Yeah? You see, if you want to see the miraculous happen, you've got to stand in the confidence of Christ and face what has died. If you try to face what's dead, before you've got your heart and mind surrendered, there'll be no resurrection. If you try to speak to what's dead with your own words, there'll be no resurrection. People want to see God work, but they don't want to do the work of seeking him first. People want to see resurrection happen, but they don't want to do the hard work of praying first. But you won't see it. You won't see resurrection. You won't see abundantly exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think unless unless he is your complete source of strength when you truly believe he is able you'll stop your complaining you'll stop your whining you'll stop your selfish demanding and you'll get some confidence He is able to exceedingly and abundantly do above all that I could ask or think. Wait a minute. It's according to the power that's within me. Wait a minute. That's how there's glory in the church, Ephesians 3.20 said. In fact, there's not much glory in the American church today because there's not a generation of the church that will believe he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. Amen? Hey, I'm ready to be that generation. I'm ready for us to be that church. I'm tired of just going through the motions. I'm tired of just doing the routine. We're not here for that. We're here to embrace what Christ has done for us, stand in the confidence of that, connect with him, and speak to a culture, speak to people, speak to marriages, speak to families that are dead, and say, it's time to arise. Amen? Amen. Amen. Come on now. Story goes on. Peter turns toward the body. He said, Tabitha, arise. He calls her by name. He calls her out. He calls her to life. He called her to do what she could not do. He called her to do what he couldn't do. He called her to do what only God can do to arise, to come to life. Amen? Whoo! The good news is she does. And you and I have the power as God's people to speak to dead thoughts and say, I'm done with fear and depression and anxiety and all this mess in my life that's been speaking death. It's time to arise. We have the power to speak into our marriage and say, I don't want it to be anymore where there's conflict and unspoken, you know, tension. I'm tired of all that. I'm ready to arise and there be life. It's time to, to speak life to a spouse, to a friend, to a family member. It's time to put aside the criticism. It's time to put aside all of the negative talk. It's time to put aside all of the whispers of death and speak life and say, Jesus has called us. Jesus has saved us. Jesus is here to do a work in our marriage and he's here to do a work in your life. 
It's time to speak to a culture. Stop cursing at the darkness and start speaking life to them. It's time to speak life into the darkness. Satan, you're not going to have my future. Satan, you're not going to have my son. Satan, you're not going to have my marriage. Satan, you're not going to have my future. Satan, you're not going to have my health. Satan, you're not going to have my emotions all wrapped up and twisted. I'm not going to live like that anymore. I'm tired of thinking this is the way it's always going to be. I want to be a man and a woman of faith who will believe God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all I could ask or think. Amen. The passage says this in verse 40. And she opened her eyes And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. I'm telling you, when somebody chooses to have faith and believe, And one believes. It's all it takes to start viral revival. Not the faith of the dead man, but the faith of the one who loved him, Peter. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? You know, we might like to say that the story says that Dorcas came to life, and then Peter said, Tabitha, arise. You might think that's how the story plays out. She rose up, and then Peter lifted her up. She rose up, and then Peter spoke up. That's not what happened. What happened was Peter spoke, and life happened. For us today, there's very real application into our lives. I'm confident that the Spirit of God is speaking right now into every one of our hearts. He's speaking to very specific areas, areas that we have thought were dead, areas that we've, we've put the grave clothes on and sealed them up. We've counted it and them dead. And God is speaking today and saying, don't bury what I will speak and raise to life. Don't cover it up. Don't count it as the end. Be like Abraham who hoped against hope cause life to come into his body and his wife's body while it was still dead. God is speaking to us today. He's calling us to greater faith than we've had before. He's calling us to have faith bigger than this is the way it's going to always be. Would you accept that today? Would you hear what he's saying to you? And would you say to him, God, I want to have that kind of faith. I want to believe that you can speak 
and bring resurrection. In fact, I'm going to have that kind of faith. I believe it, God. And I today will stand in anticipation that you will bring resurrection. You'll bring it for my loved ones. You'll bring it for situations in my life. And you're looking to me to believe you. And today, I do. I do, God. Father, this morning, you're calling us to greater faith. You're calling us to believe that you truly, truly are able to do far beyond what we could imagine, ask, or think. Raise up a spirit of faith in us today, God. May it change how we see everything. May it change how we see people. May it change how we see our culture. And may this be a place where life begins, where resurrection happens. We'll glorify you for it. There'll be glory in the church because of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Our counselors will be standing here at the front. If you'd like to have someone to come to and say, I am believing this today. I am believing that God can bring resurrection today. Pray for me. Maybe you're coming to Christ for the very first time today. You come. Our counselors are waiting to receive you. You come as we sing.